Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not sure if all of you grew up Lutheran, but if you did, chances are you've heard Psalm 46 once or twice that was read earlier. It's usually read on Reformation Sunday, which is on October 31st. And I've always known this psalm to be a good Lutheran psalm. And that's because Martin Luther loved this psalm. In fact, he loved it so much, he actually used it as the source of inspiration for writing the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You've probably heard that one once or twice before. And that's great for church tradition. But I've always pictured a curmudgeoned old man, hunched over, sitting lonely in a castle in Wartburg. You see, in January of 1521, Pope Leo X excommunicated Luther... He was summoned to appear at the Diet of Worms, an assembly of the Holy Roman Empire, and there Luther refused to recant of his writings, and Emperor Charles V declared him an outlaw and a heretic. And so Luther went into hiding at Wartburg Castle. And it was in this castle sometime between 1527 and 1529 that Luther penned the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's been called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation for the effect it had in increasing support for the Reformer's cause. And honestly, I regarded all of this, I relegated all of this to the tradition of Lutheranism. It didn't have any real meaning to me personally. The hymn and even Psalm 46, which is what the hymn is based off of, didn't connect in my life in any meaningful way. To me, it was just a story of some old outlaw reformer writing and translating the Bible. I believe that this psalm gave him some measure of comfort, and that's good for him. But this psalm, Psalm 46, came alive for me this last week. While attending the National Youth Gathering with some of our high school students, I saw this psalm in a new light. They had presented it in a way that brought connection and real-life application to this psalm, and and they boiled the psalm down to three simple words, the theme, real, present, God. And so I hope to share with you, to unpack for you these three words and how they connected to Psalm 46 and how that psalm can connect to your life as well. So as we dove into this text at the National Youth Gathering, the first thing we focused on was the word real, specifically how God is real. Not in the sense that we know he exists, that was a given, but rather that God is real because he knows a thing or two of real life. We can try to put up a front. We can try to fool the world, but God knows the real you. He knows your troubles. And if God is real with us, then we can be real with him and one another. We can be honest with ourselves. We can be honest with one another. We can be honest with our God. And in real life, we have troubles. All of us. There are some troubles that face our youth. I learned a bit about that this week. They face the minefields of navigating complex relationships. They face parents divorcing. They face bullying, peer pressure, and the threat of school shootings. They wrestle with things, uh, with questions of identity and purpose. They have easy access to powerful drugs, and smartphones and social media do nothing to make this any easier. 
which is a little bit different than some of the troubles that our older people face. Things like bodies starting to wear down, medical bills piling up, hearing and eyesight beginning to fail, trying to understand and use all this new technology while trying to keep up with the language that is changing so quickly. But there are troubles that don't discriminate when it comes to age. There are troubles universally faced by all. Things like fear, anxiety, rejection. The pressure to perform. People young and old both face the reality of death in this world. For older people, maybe they are attending more funerals than they used to. For younger people, they are usually facing the first death of somebody really close to them. The psalmist wrote, Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These are troubling images, aren't they? He goes on to say, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, my word, have you seen the news lately? We all know there are troubles. You don't need me standing up here to tell you that. Sadly, it's a reality we're all too familiar with. And that's because we live in a broken world. And so we experience pain. We experience loss and hurt and feelings of loneliness. One way I explain this to people is like standing barefoot in the middle of a kitchen and you're surrounded all around you with broken uh, plates and glasses that have come crashing out of the cabinets. That's what life is like in this broken world. And then we wonder why we get slivers of glass in our feet. We wonder, why does life hurt so much at times? The worst part is that it's our own sin that caused the dishes to fall in the first place. We have no one to blame but ourselves. The trouble is real. But so is the refuge. This psalm allows vulnerability. It acknowledges that life can be hard. We don't like to talk about it. right? We like to, to be polished. We like to be all put together. But real means to live in reality. Thankfully, we have a God that exists in reality, too. We have a God who is present in our lives, and that's the second word we focused on, was present. The main question of that day was, where are you, God? Our young people wonder this. They have questions that go unanswered, problems they face that seem to have no solution, but not only that, they feel lost in a world, abandoned by their God, or at the very least, ignored. Again, I'm thinking this isn't a feeling only belonging to the young. Have you ever wondered where God was? Why wasn't he listening to you? Why isn't he paying attention to these seemingly insurmountable troubles? But the truth is, he is present. He is present in ways we don't always realize or acknowledge, and he can be found where he promises to be. And we get a clue of where that is. To get that clue, we look at again at the text. Psalm 46, verse 4 says, There is a river 
whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Well, what does that mean? Educational aside here, if you aren't sure how to properly understand something in Scripture, the best uh, place to start looking is where it's talked about in maybe some other way in Scripture. And it's always best to start in the same book of the Bible. So using that practice, to better understand this verse, we can look at what it says in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by, and here's the connection, streams of water. Right? Psalm 46, verse 4, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And here, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. And how does one get planted by that stream? How, how is that tree watered? Scripture says the man delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He meditates on the law. Or in the Hebrew here it says Torah, which can have a narrow translation and a broad translation. In the narrowest sense it can mean just the Ten Commandments. In a wider context, it can mean the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch. And in an even wider sense, it can mean basically the whole Old Testament. But in all of these meanings, it's all referring to God's Word. And what is this Word of God? Well, for that, we can look at what it says in Luke, or I'm sorry, in John 1. That's the advantage that we have living on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection we get an even better understanding of what God is talking about here in Psalm 46. In John 1, it talks about the Word of God. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, this life-giving stream of water and the focus of our meditation is Jesus. And where does Jesus promise to be? Well, we find him, the word of God in God's word, in scripture. And we find Jesus present in what are called the means of grace. When physical elements are connected with God's word. The means of grace are our baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of which will be uh, having today in the service. And these are the ways that we receive forgiveness of sins. These are ways we are reminded of God making right the relationship that we sinners have to a perfect God. And these are all gifts that our God gives to us to sustain us in our troubled times. Gifts of communion. Gifts of Bible reading. Gifts of prayer. And he does all this. He accomplishes all of this because... He is God. And that was the third word we focused on at the gathering, God. And here in uh, Psalm 46, we see a God that's portrayed in two very distinct ways. In, in verse 7 and 11, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, which has a lot going on in these two little phrases here. And this can be understood as a, as a big, giant, cosmic, all-powerful God and also as a, a relational and personal protective God. It's 
the, the language here mirrors what it says in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, we have God existing, and he creates the whole universe, the earth, and these massive systems of life, of water, of land, of plants, of animals. And he does all this simply by speaking. We have a picture of an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-existing God who extends beyond our full understanding. That's the God we have in Genesis chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, we have a personal and relational God. We have God forming dirt and mud and, and, and blowing into his creation, creating the first person, Adam. We see, we see him giving him a, a place to live and, and direction and purpose in his life. We, we see him attending to his every need and even providing a wife and a helper so he isn't alone. We see a God who cares, who, who loves, who, who provides that's the God we have in Genesis chapter 2. And so Psalm 46 reflects this very similar view of God. First we have the Lord of hosts is with us. It's a powerful God. To understand the power behind that, you need to know what a host is. And no, I'm not talking about the person who seats you at a restaurant. That's a different kind of host. The host here being referred to is actually God's angelic army try to picture this the almighty and all-powerful god who can do anything has at his disposal a massive and powerful army of angels this angel army actually makes an appearance in the gospels too not exactly something you'd expect to see part of the christmas story of jesus being born at christmas but in luke chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 it says and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I find it interesting that the spiritual force that engages in war is celebrating peace at Jesus' birth. But then again, look what it says in Psalm 46, verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The end of war is peace. And the sending of Jesus is that peace. And that's because we have a real, personal, present God. Come back. There it is. And it's because of Jesus that we have peace with God. Because of Jesus, we have a personal relationship with God. We are, we are brought into faith. We have faith created in our hearts. We have been given forgiveness freely. We're even brought into his family through adoptions as sons and daughters. This God of Abraham, this God of Isaac, this God of Jacob is also the God of you and me. You see, when we face troubles, when we deal with the realities of this fallen and broken world, we have a God who is both offense and defense. Offense as in the powerful Lord of hosts and defense as in our fortress. And it's in this fortress of God that we take refuge, in his infinite mercy. We, we can hide away in his love and his forgiveness and his provision. And though the world seems to be crumbling all around us, 
We need not fear, like it says in Luke or in verse two. Instead, we can do what it says in verse ten. We can be still. We can be still and know that I am God. And if God is God, that means you are not, and that's a good thing. We might want the to be the one in charge, to have all the power to make things go our way, but that's a responsibility reserved only for our God and God alone. And it's that same God, though, who calls you, who forgives you, who loves you, who dies for you. And so be still. Instead of jumping from worry to worry, we can take a breath and be still. God is on our side, and like it asks in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we know that God is real, that he is present, and that he is our God because of Jesus. Jesus who knows a thing or two of real suffering. He knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows the struggles of this world. He knows what it's like to be hungry to be frustrated, to be angry, to feel pain and betrayal, to be all alone and left for dead. But our real present God, our Jesus, did all this for you and for me so that we have peace, so that we can be still and know that he is God, so that we can be reconciled to our God, trading our sin and our suffering and our troubles for perfection and joy and peace for the Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress amen